Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. Things are a little different this week, as today is World Mental Health Day. And as the Stompcast is on a mission to improve both mental and physical well-being, I've decided to invite my therapist, Dr. Taryn Quirk, onto the podcast. I've known Taryn for about a year now and thought there's no one better to have on here to show you guys what it's really like to have a therapy session. Now, people have a lot of misconceptions and preconceptions around therapy. It often centers around people being sat in a room with a white coat therapist opposite you, writing things down very quickly and doing lots of frowning. But I can assure you that's far from the truth, or at least it should be. My therapy sessions consist of walking in the park. We go for a walk for an hour. We talk about different topics from grief to anxiety to thought processes. We use various techniques. Um, You'll have heard of CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, cat therapy, which doesn't involve the uh, furry kind, <laughs> and even a bit of dog therapy when Roller comes along. So today's going to be a bit of a different episode. What I really want is for you guys listening to have a bit of an idea of what it's like and to get rid of some of the stigma and hopefully for those that want to have therapy and access therapy to give you the kind of encouragement and maybe a bit of confidence to do so. Today is going to be also quite an interesting episode because I was diagnosed with ADHD last week, literally a week ago from recording this episode, which is kind of ironic because it's ADHD Awareness Month. It's something that I've talked about a little bit on my socials. I feel it's important that I'm open about things in my life and I hope that me being diagnosed might help raise awareness, might help anyone that's going through that journey because it's something that is quite heavily stigmatised, I think. And for me, I'm sure we'll take a bit of come to terms with. We'll see. So this episode now with Taryn is a, a real, you know, real life thing. I've just been diagnosed. There's lots of things I need to unpack and we're going to do it together. No matter where you're walking this week or how far your route is, our new sponsor, Fitflop, is here to support you on your stomps. We've done an impressive amount of miles on the stomp cast so far. And I've been kept supported by various pairs of trainers and shoes from Fitflop throughout. I've been wearing Fitflop for well over a year now. Powered by science, each shoe provides support for long periods of time thanks to the biomechanic testing that goes into every single pair. For those who might not know, biomechanics is the study of the human body and how it moves. And I can vouch for the fact that Fitflop shoes align incredibly well with my feet and natural walking style. I'm certain they'll be great for you too. Fitflop uses biomechanics to ensure they provide all-day comfort. Honestly, it's so nice to go out for long stomps and not come back with achy feet at the end of the day. It's kind of like walking on clouds. If you're stood there now, ready for your stomp, looking at your old trainers, boots, or even sandals, and they're in need of an upgrade, head over to fitflop.com to choose their perfect replacement. I love the Vitamin FF trainers, which are made with a soft, springy, neodynamic midsole. The technology helps propel you forward and takes the pressure off your feet by reducing impact with every step. Hey Taryn, how are you? I'm good, thank you for having me. Is this your first podcast? It is indeed. How do you feel? I'm very excited. Are you excited mm -hmm. to do it? Mm -hmm. Definitely. We've been talking about this for a little while um, mm -hmm. and I'm glad you've agreed to do it. And I appreciate sometimes it's kind of scary because this, this is like your life, it's your job. You've got a PhD, you look after people at university, you look after people uh, in the private sector as well and I'm kind of asking you to do your job <laughs> on audio. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate, you know, kind of being kind of brave enough to do it because some people are quite afraid, particularly in the kind of health healthcare sector, but it's important because I feel like so many people have misconceptions about what therapy means. First of all, I think people might be surprised we're doing this session mm -hmm. walking, but we do mm -hmm. this every week, don't we? We do, yeah. In the same place? Yeah. This is our genuine stomp for therapy. And <laughs> We did our first session um, in a traditional room, didn't we? Like a, we did, yeah. But I didn't really, 
didn't like that so much because I'm, well, it makes more sense now with my diagnosis that we'll go into, but I don't like to sit still, particularly when I'm talking about emotive things. Yeah, yeah. So this, this format definitely works for you. And it's something that just organically developed as a solution to a pandemic where, you know, face to face wasn't really an option. Some people didn't want to do online. So the walking was a really good yeah. option outdoors. And it feels, um, I find it's like, when you're walking as well, it's so much easier to talk about things that are difficult. Yeah. I think when you're kind of face to face with someone, it's almost like not a battle. <laughs> you're not there to battle me, but yeah. you feel a bit more like it's confrontational, isn't it? In exactly. a way, we're walking, it's like we can talk we want to, have natural pauses when we want to, and it works, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's much less clinical, but I don't know, there's something about being in nature that's very comforting and relaxing. And I think, yeah, the confidentiality factor, I think how we've done it quite nicely is that we've selected areas that are really spacious. Mm. So it's not like anyone's no. in earshot anyway. No, 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 absolutely. It works really well. Well, now, funny enough, everyone's going to be in earshot. Hopefully, so <laughs> exactly. so this, the format of this is going to work a bit differently because usually I do the stomp cast and what with the guests. We have three parts and we very much focus on different things and it's more about the guests. In an odd way, it's about both of us for this. Mm -hmm. So people seeing what it's like to be... So the patient? How do you describe me? The client. The client. Yeah. I like that a client. And and uh, the professional. So we're both going to see, or everyone's going to see, hopefully, the kind of interplay, how it works, and maybe take something away from it. So we're going to walk for an hour because uh -huh. we usually do a therapy session for about an hour, don't we? Yeah. Once a week because it gives nice time to go away, mm -hmm. apply different things we're trying, or you know, try and change, or and also give you a bit of space because it can be quite tiring actually doing therapy sessions. I think particularly as when you go into like deep things and things that are difficult. Let's go straight into it then. So, um, so last week, almost to the day, um, I was told that I have ADHD. So for people listening, it's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I don't like the name. Mm -hmm. Do you like the name? I hate it. It <laughs> needs to be relabeled. It needs to be relabeled. So we're going to go into all that, I think, towards the end. But maybe we... Well, let's talk about it. So mm. um, I, I told you actually a little while ago that I was going through the assessment yeah. tonight. And it, it takes ages because you... Depends how you do it. If you do it through the NHS, you could be waiting quite a long time. I went privately, very fortunate to do that, because um, I kind of wanted to understand. And it was off the back of an episode I did with Todd Latee, who's been diagnosed with ADHD. And listening to him and his experience, I was like, oh, <laughs> I actually, maybe I should get assessed. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? So I had to fill out loads of these really long survey type thing, questionnaire things. My family had to do that um, as well. Then we did like assessments and the last time I spoke to the psychiatrist, it was with my friend on the phone call as well. Yeah. So it's quite an odd, it's an odd thing to do is listen. Not often you'd listen to someone talk about you yeah. to a doctor with you sat there and kind of listening. You, you don't have, by the way, if you're listening, you, you can actually, if you're going through assessment, you don't have to be present. But I was like, I don't mind it. Adam didn't mind it. And so we're all on this Zoom call and they're talking about you. It's, it's quite odd to be honest. It's really insightful hearing their experiences of you, because this is something, like you say, you're 31. There's been three decades of sort of noticing that there might be differences somewhere that other people have had to navigate, but maybe never spoken to you about. Yeah. And it's through that, you know, it's raised your awareness. Yeah, and I think um, it's odd, because, uh, yeah, just listening to it, because some of the things that I thought I perceived, maybe I didn't really see, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. like. For example, one of the things that really stuck with me is Adam said, um, actually, when I see Alex and we plan to do things like when I go back to Wales, I always have to kind of take into account how he is, right. as in he does things differently or they plan things slightly differently. So I'm not very good at sitting still. I generally have my attention goes from like one thing onto the next. And I, I kind of tend to be not so easy to kind of just being in that situation. I, I can't stay in the same place too, too long unless I kind of get a bit frustrated or agitated. So he, he really has to think about that. And actually really, that, was, that quite moved me because he wasn't saying it in a negative way, but it is a bit like, oh, what you have to plan differently for me. Mm. It's like, Oof, in your chest a bit. Yeah. I was going to ask you how that actually made you feel. Your, your sort of initial reaction to what the feedback was, but then the emotions that would have settled in afterwards. Yeah. Well, I think... I think um, it's interesting. So my parents have a very different view to how I was as a child and growing up, which I also think is still a little bit different to what my friends saw. So I, it kind of taught me a little bit, or my partner reaction was like, wow, people see the same thing. And depending what angle they're looking at it, they might have a different perception of what was going on. Yeah. 
like I remember Adam was saying that because we're you know school friends, friends for a very long time. You know, he's my best friend at school. We were revising for A levels. He was like, yeah, you know, but we were able to sit and revise for hours, weren't we? And I was like, well, if you think about it, you would sit and you know read your notes and do all that kind of stuff. I'd be running around the room, going in and out of the room, going outside, learn a bit, go outside. And he was like, yeah, you're actually right. I kind of pictured it that you were able through that time to really concentrate. But when I really go back to that time, mm. he's like, I can actually see that maybe it wasn't actually the same. Um, I also think there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of things that you remember in your own way and you think, oh, you know, that was normal at the time. And then other people might think, no, actually, that was different. And I think particularly, like I said, with him saying that I, I have become worse at certain things as I got older, mm-hmm that sometimes leaves you feeling a bit like, oh God. I don't know, it's, I think it's very, my initial thing, you know, this is a week after being diagnosed, whatever that really means. Um, I just think it's quite sad that it's taken 31 years for me to understand certain things. Yeah. And I look back on my life and, you know, I, as a child, I really struggled to engage in classroom settings. I was actually put, in um, a special needs class for a good period of time until my mum went in and said, Alex, is, Alex doesn't need to be in this environment. He does actually need to keep in the academic space, but you know maybe we can adjust how things are. And I don't think anyone really thought what that meant at that time mm. or what that was. I think it, they thought I just was a bit like naughty or whatever. Yeah. And then throughout the school years, I found school environments very, very challenging because I just couldn't, I don't think that form of learning was good for me. Yeah. And then when I went to university, it was the first time in my life I think I was able to excel. So I went to a, a medical school that was very future, future thinking. So you've got traditional med schools that are sit down, watch millions of lectures, read tons of books and just sit there for hours on end. That would have just not worked for me. Probably would have failed. Whereas I went to a med school that was all self-directed learning, yeah. different engaging forms of learning. It was not heavy on lectures at all. And in fact, most lectures you can watch at home. Yeah. So I used to, rather than go to lecture, I'd watch it at home and stop and start. So I could stop and start and do other things. But I never recognised at the time that that could be ADHD. I just thought I was a bit different. Mm. So I, mean, I just think it's sad, to be honest. It is. It is. It's one of those things I think has been massively overlooked. There's a huge lack of information and awareness out there. But I think people are getting better. But it's still unfortunate cost waiting lists for, you know, everyone needing needing the assessments. But the interesting thing, I think what you noticed, um, is that you're already reflecting on historical stuff and behaviors and the impact that it maybe have. I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. I think this is a really interesting topic to bring up, especially if you're thinking about focusing on a CBT angle. Um, but you know, on some, on some level now at 31, there's been three decades of not knowing information which now you do and i'm wondering in a way do you do you kind of see it as i'm almost relearning alex in a way not entirely yeah but there's parts of mm. you that maybe oh that makes sense now i get yeah i think it i think part that's why i think part of it part of my my reaction has been like i'm glad i understand so people might ask why did you that's a good place to start like why why go now 31 mm-hmm. i didn't want anything i don't want any specific treatments i don't feel like i need it because i feel for me the way i am in terms of my attention hyper focusing on things and jumping onto other things mm-hmm. for me is a superpower mm-hmm. because in my life i've it's all lots of different pieces that i jump between Definitely. if you ask me to sit down in a nine to six nine to seven job I think it would be disorder for me, or it would be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But because I built uh, a life around me that allows it to actually really work, it works for me. Yeah. So for that, I don't mind. Um, what I do think, as I say, is sad, is that I think there's so many things that I kind of, I look back and think I was probably told off for certain things that I think probably were just how I was. Yeah. Um, I think school was much tougher than it could have, should have been. It could have been different if I'd have, if I'd have understood and other people around me had understood and allowed me to learn the way that I felt I could learn. Yeah. I'd have actually had a much more enjoyable process as school. And yeah, I just kind of, I think what if a lot of the time. So yeah. it's odd how you make life choices sometimes that uh, you don't even realize you're making choices to compensate. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being an A&E doctor. My whole life in A&E is jumping between one thing to the next to the next. One case, that case, almost like you're trying to find organization in chaos mm-hmm. and it worked perfectly for me and for someone that's short attention span see a patient bam 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 on the next yeah perfect and actually i look around me and i think i found 
situations when it was really, really busy, maybe less stressful than some people. Yeah. And I wonder if that's because I'm kind of built in that way, but how many kids are out there that are not supported for it or for sure. not diagnosed or whatever? And I think one of the biggest things, I mean, it would actually be really useful from your perspective just to explain a bit around mm -hmm. what is ADHD, but I think one of the misconceptions I understand is that, you know, about one in 10 or even, even more than that, people who have ADHD don't have that hyperactivity that you think of, like people bouncing, the kid bouncing around the room. I mean, exactly. I didn't bounce around a room. Sure. That's why I thought I don't have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's experienced differently for different people. Um, you know, you've highlighted for you, it was maybe impatience, hyperfocus, <laughs> um, impulsivity. <laughs> and when you think about like longitudinal form formulations with individuals, you're looking at historical stuff, events, that would have had a significant impact that then has shaped your core beliefs and your thinking moving forward into adulthood, right? So there's, there's a lot to unpack there, and, and that's something we can definitely tackle today at some other stage, but you're right, like, you know, um, there's also studies out there, particularly looking at people um, with ADHD, you've got heightened um, levels of empathy, resilience. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Because yeah. I think I'm an incredibly sensitive and empathetic person got that so I was like I think I'm very but I think I am just I'm such a sensitive person so I didn't know that that's fascinating yeah yeah so it's you know social intelligence empathy resilience um, and then this abundance of energy which you know is is textbook you um, I've mentioned this before <laughs> you know you are uh, the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed you are caring loving kind informing that that's all you do, that's all you live for. And um, I think that's really, you know, highlighting where that's coming from. You know, that's, that is you as a person and this is what you do all day, every day in your career. Um, but, you know, the impulsivity, for example, with ADHD, um, you've got these ADHD masks, this is what they call it. And um, let's just say, for instance, you were a really impulsive child at school and you're acting out and the kids are starting to like look at you and treat you differently, even the teachers are, because they don't understand it. You know, those experiences can really shape your, your experience, your core belief system, your rules for living, that will carry through to adulthood. So you know how Alex at five was interpreting a significant event and how others were reacting to it, and, and how they might have seen or treated you differently, you then grow up to become this adult thinking, I'm different, or I'm not good enough, or I'm failing, or what's wrong with me? There's so much to unpack, which I think actually now knowing the diagnosis, it would make a lot of sense for us to do a longitudinal formulation where you're considering... What's that mean? What do you mean? Well, a formulation is trying to make sense of anything. So if, um, you know, someone is struggling with anxiety, low mood, um, whatever it is, whatever the, the concern is, you're paying attention to someone's past, mm. so it's longitudinal. You want to think about, you know, dynamics in the family home, experiences at school, bullying, bereavements, everything comes into play, everything's important. You're also considering protective factors, you know, um, where you were in the birth order, middle child, first child, you know, um, last born. You are thinking about triggers. Um, you also want to pay attention to triggering events that can set you off. One minute you're fine and the next minute you know you're not fine, you're yeah. angry, um, you're, you're anxious, you're sad. You didn't wake up that way. Something has triggered you. So it's becoming aware of what these triggers are. Mm. You know, what was the source? Where did it come from? And then understanding how all these parts of the puzzle fit together. So you might be triggered off and one minute you're neutral and you're fine and the next minute you are so angry. We want to think about that anger, like where did, where did that come from? Um, we want to understand the thoughts going on in your head. We want to understand the behaviors and also how your body's reacting to it. And because it all works together, you can't have one in isolation. And, and I think specifically with ADHD, really looking at the historical stuff and trying to make sense of it, it's going to understand your reaction to things, understanding why others react in a particular way. And so possibly these core beliefs or these rules for living that you have can actually be null and voided in a way. You can, you can let them go because now we understand what was going on. But five-year-old Alex wouldn't have known that. I just think it's, I, the bit I think is difficult to, aside from the fact I think, what about the people that have not been and maybe have been lost or feel lost because they're not 
understood because it's, I believe up to 5% of the population have ADHD or features of ADHD mm. and you know it, it's massively underdiagnosed and my understanding is that often because we have a typical idea of the highly hyperactive child running around the room those are often cases maybe that are picked up and the yeah. people that are not as overtly or the ADHD doesn't present in that way mm. they therefore get lost on the sideline I feel like that's what happened to me yeah. um, I wasn't running around like that but the my brain inside was doing that mm. so I think I was able when I was younger I kind of quickly realized particularly I think when I was put in a special needs class and I kind of understood I was like if I continue here I'm missing out on the learning that's going on in class I was like either I kind of conform in my mind to what's going on here or I'm going to miss out mm -hmm. and I was able to make that decision but lots of other children maybe are not not able and I think the other thing that's happened as well I'm putting together slowly like almost day by day I'm kind of putting together pieces of a jigsaw like when I spoke to the psychiatrist, or I spoke to a consultant psychiatrist who's an expert in uh, neurodevelopmental um, things, and uh, she basically said, look, there's lots of things that piece together. One of them that shocked me was around caffeine intake. Oh, like, yeah. so the, so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but often people with ADHD, without even realising it, drinks lots of caffeine because mm -hmm. it's a similar effect to Ritalin. Mm, uh, Ritalin. It's a stimulant therapy. It's a stimulant therapy, it's Ritalin, mm -hmm. people often hear stimulant therapy around ADHD is one of the medical treatments. Coffee, I understand, works in the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And by doing that and creating that stimulation, you get this sense of calm, which often people find like confusing, but depending on where you stimulate in the brain, it'll have an effect on other parts, isn't that yeah. right? So yeah. for me, and it makes sense, because I can drink a lot of coffee and I don't feel hyperactive for it. I just feel calm. Mm -hmm. That's not to say if I drink loads and loads and loads that it doesn't stop me from sleeping and things, obviously. Yeah. But I, it does make sense. You know, since I was really young, I had a propensity to drink lots of coffee. And I actually found the more stressed I am, I feel like I need to have some coffee to calm me down. Mm. And that has always been quite slightly odd for me because most people would have coffee to pick themselves up in exactly. energy. Yeah. Whereas I wake up bouncing out the bed. Mm. I don't need to be. Yeah, um, but it, it's the same uh, with chocolate and sodas. Um, it's again stimulant therapy, um, but then on the flip side as well. I mean, it, it's good that you highlight that because that's something people need to be aware of. But then it's also all right. Well, health and well-being. Now what? You know, that's the flip side that you also have to be aware and manage. Well, the other thing I was told as well is that sometimes, and actually. Toddler T mentioned this as well, propensity towards alcohol. Now, mm -hmm. I don't really, I'm quite, I'm very, uh, I don't like the, this word is used quite a lot now, but like mindful drinking, I'm quite aware of alcohol and I'd say I manage that very well, but I can understand what people mean. That is, it'd be easy to use that as like a numbing thing, mm -hmm. as like a leveler. Yeah, it was interesting to hear that very much for me is about the coffee. I mean, the caffeine is definitely something for me. I mean, Abby would say I can easily knock back good couple of coffees in the morning. I actually have switched to decaf most in the afternoon because I'm aware to sleep. But she did say to me actually, the consultant, like, look, you know, if it's helping you, as long as you think about how it spills out in other areas, so as long as it's not affecting sleep and so mm -hmm. on, then actually some things will be beneficial and that's absolutely fine yeah. as well. And I think there's other things I've pieced together. One of the big things for me, which I don't think I've ever really talked about, but I have a, a tick, a facial tick, very obvious facial tick that I've had since I'm about 10 years old. And it's more like, more stressed I am, or more, the more situation that I'm stimulated in, the worse the tick is. Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that ticks are quite heavily associated with ADHD and other things as well. And actually it's quite sad because I, not, I well, when in my twenties, I felt very self-conscious by it, particularly going on the wards. So I had Botox for many years to knock out a lot of the ADHD because Botox will knock out the muscle, right. knock out the muscle, obviously your twitch is, the firing, whatever's going on behind the scenes is there, but the yeah. twitch is not being shown. And it's kind of sad in a way because you're doing it basically to mask who you are. But I thought, gosh, I've got this, I've got that. I'm, you know, we don't want people to see that. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is kind of sad. But this is exactly what an ADH mask is. And that is a term, right? That you have noticed something within yourself that might be slightly different. Um, maybe people have highlighted it because they've noticed it. And what people then tend to do that are suffering from ADHD will try to mask it. So inverted commas, you know, try to appear more regular or more normal by tweaking their behaviors in certain ways. But remember, that's just the behavior angle. Um, we also have to think about what's going on inside the brain. So the yeah. cognitions, the behaviors that one might notice, because those are obvious. You know, it's, it's acting out in certain ways. Everyone can see it, you can see it, 
but it's also massively paying attention to what is going on in the head, what cognitively is one experiencing, um, and how that impacts our emotions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think, um, I think for, for me, it's kind of really looking back, it is kind of looking at some of the signs and wondering how, because I, I just think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very much, although very clearly I would say that ADHD is not a mental health disorder, mental illness, it is a neurological development, sure. but there are associations of course, things like anxiety and so on, which is kind of, kind of makes a lot of sense because, <laughs> you know, if you're growing up in a social construct where you feel different, it's going to propitiate um, things that might develop from that, like anxiety and so on. I wonder how much of my anxiety might actually come from, come from, from that. But yeah. You get ADHD cycles which if we use the example of impulsivity again you know one might do something impulsively and in response to that you then start feeling the guilt and the shame which is then followed by anger and anxiety and this is when negative thoughts and negative negative thinking patterns start creeping in where one might if we were to assess their cognitions yeah. be thinking i'm different i'm not good enough others don't like me there's a lot to unpack um, and it, it then leads to increased distress and anxiety. So you can see how this vicious cycle, if it's not broken, can keep going. Well, it's kind of like the CBT cycle, isn't it? Almost like that cognitive behavioral therapy that you modeling that you, know, you hear often used around therapy. It's kind of like, you know, your action, I might, act, I might um, interrupt someone because you might have impulsivity or like um, pressure of speech and you, you know, interrupt someone. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, oh, gosh, I'm so rude. And then I feel awful. And that feels into cycling again into, you know, in, like feeding back into that negative cycle and feeling. So it does, it seems like there's quite a, low, quite, quite a close connection, I guess, to, yeah, yeah. to other things. Let, let's talk about um, the word. Mm. Why do we call it ADHD? Where does that really, like, where does that come from? Because it does feel to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't really relate to that title. And I'm, I'm only going to speak to myself, for myself, because I don't feel I have a deficit of attention. I can hyper-focus. Mm -hmm. I can't do it for a long, long time, but I'll move on to different things. But I actually can really, really focus. Um, and I also, the other bit of it is that I just don't feel that I have a disorder. And I'm not, again, dismissing other people's experiences and how challenging life is. But I think that, the challenge of life is maybe the construct we find ourselves like is the person with ADHD actually disordered or do they find themselves in a, in a situation where their weaknesses have been highlighted and we're not seeing their strengths mm. so I think you know for me like having ADHD makes me a really good A&E doctor yep. having ADHD makes me really good at having multiple things that are going on at once and not becoming overly overstressed about it I feel like I could kind of juggle quite a bit yeah if I wasn't the way I am would I be doing what I do now so would I change it? No, I wouldn't change it. No. I mean, yeah, you can juggle a lot. Public speaking, entrepreneur, A&E, doctor. There's so much going on. The balance, of course, being being careful that you don't burn out and True. reach exhaustion. That's where you come in. <laughs> yeah. You wind me back. <laughs> yeah, a lot of... Uh, if everyone's stomping away. You know, not away. thinking like, about your successes, not taking <laughs> credit. I'm not... Um, yeah, you, I get told off by um, Taryn like that I don't focus on things that go well. Um, I'm naturally someone who, like... I'm like, no, it could be better. Let's you know, even more, going back harder. as early as the, the system letting you down, letting others down, that can sort of set up a core belief about me, others, and the world that, you know what, I've got to actually just do things myself to get it done properly. But then as an adult, that could be seen as, wow, he really doesn't delegate. He does a lot himself <laughs> to get it right and yeah, perfect. True. Again, exhaustion. Abby, don't roll your eyes. <laughs> I can almost feel you rolling your eyes behind me. <laughs> um, but going back to the label, ADHD as a label, I really don't like. Um, don't like the word disorder, and I don't like the word deficit. I just think there's just two massive negatives in that label. Um, and I think with a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of different symptoms, but maybe focus, attention being one of the big ones, and hyperactivity being another big one someone just decided to put them together and give it this label. It's, it's odd, isn't it? Because like, 
hyperactivity in the way that we think of it is actually not the case. Mm. Attention, you can actually concentrate really, really well. I mean, Todd Latee talked about it when I spoke to him. He's able to sit and produce songs and make songs and have so much hyper-focus to hear beats and sounds or mixes and mm. like if you are truly unable to attack to a focus how is he going to do that then how exactly. is he going to do that mm. so you know and if i was if it was a case that i couldn't put attention to things i'd be missing things like blood gases or missing blood results or things on x-rays mm. all the time because i couldn't focus on the x-ray it's not it's not about that and i think you're right i think the nail on the head is why is it deficit disorders you're already saying so you're basically saying i'm behind i've got a deficit mm -hmm. so i'm already starting on the back foot and i'm disordered yeah and I think, and I know a lot of people really struggle and those, and everyone, so I might have ADHD, mine might be different to someone else mm -hmm. and how much it affects my life might be different. So I'm careful to say that, but I think for a lot of people in the right setting, it can be a real strength. And I think, why is a label automatically putting someone to make them feel stigmatized straight away, exactly. rather than going, okay, you, are, you have a set of things that makes you different. But is that different good? Yes, it is. And there's some really successful, amazing people. I mean, Charlie and I spoke about this before this episode. I actually only told Charlie just this morning about the diagnosis. So Charlie had no idea. The producer Charlie, I should say. Um, because it's so new. Um, and, I, and, and the first thing she said is, I know so many amazing people that have that diagnosis, who are creative, are successful. And it's just such a shame that you're kind of putting, almost putting people down straight away. Yeah. And you can see, actually, if you're a parent, why would you want your child to have that diagnosis? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it's even with things like dyslexia, although that's got better, people are like, I don't want my child to be named as dyslexic, as if yeah. it's like a, as if, oh God, that's, you know, God, there's something, you know, the- You're already yeah, a problem. You're a problem, exactly. Yeah. You're a problem. Whereas yeah. I don't feel like I'm a problem. No. Abby, again, might disagree, <laughs> but I don't feel like I'm a problem. I do think in certain relationships, it causes some issues. I think mm -hmm. a lot of my previous relationships have mentioned they think I might have it. Um, I think my friendships, I think I, I have noticed in myself that I often, so for example, a good example is my friend Vaz's 32nd birthday um, this weekend. He's actually an A&E doctor as well, amazing guy. And uh, I didn't go to the whole day because it was a long barbecue and then the evening we're going to the pub. I know that's too much for me. So I go along to the evening bit because I know three or four hours and I'm off. I, I got to the point where I was like, I want to go now. Mm -hmm. And it's fine because I think I told some of them about it and they kind of, well, all of them said, yeah, to be honest, we kind of knew. But you can see how that can be problematic in relationships or friend, friendships, you know, because you, you kind of, I wasn't there all day and I left early. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, this is the importance of the diagnosis and just having that sort of global awareness of what's going on for people so that everyone has the insight, whether you have it or you know someone that does, you can manage it better. It's like any interpersonal dynamic with others, like attachment styles, anything, like to actually work well um, in an intimate relationship, a friendship, um, relationship with a colleague, you're gonna operate differently. And when you have a better understanding of that, it works, it gels better, right? And I think, you know, with ADHD, Anything sort of neurological, mental health, psychology based, I feel is very stigmatized still, even though it shouldn't be. Um, you would go to a GP if you're feeling unwell and you need medication, but then with any sort of assessment, diagnosis or, or concerns or issues you're having, then, oh my goodness, I'm failing at life. I, I can't do that. No one can see me walk into that clinic. This is embarrassing and it, it shouldn't be the case anymore with any of it. And also introducing this information way earlier um, to individuals when they're at school. I feel like there's so much foundational information across the board that if it was drip fed into schools way earlier. So really young, you've got school kids becoming psychology literate, mental health literate. The emotional literacy exactly. that point, isn't it? Yeah. It, so it, that you're not, you know, 27, 28 or older yeah. and you're like, wow, okay. What could have been done differently? Like, so, I, I'm not saying I feel let down. Um, actually, when I told my mum, she was really upset. Like, oh, we, you know, I said, mum, it's not about that. Why would you know if you weren't taught about it? And that's why I bang on about this and why important, how important mental health education is. Mm. It's because then you don't have like mums going really upset, thinking it's all their fault. Why would you know? Were you taught about it? Did you know about it? And the name is already stupid anyway, but if you forget the name, did you know what it was? Now they don't have a clue about it. They have all the stigmas and the ideas that society makes about what it is and mm. how people are with it and what you do with it. But what, what can we change broadly? Like how, 
how could it be done differently and how just broad ideas of how schools could support someone with ADHD like well it was a different time back then so your mom needs to let that go <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> every <laughs> you're mom you're gonna therapize her isn't it? every well. mom needs to just let it go or every parent it was a different time and I think now you know exactly this this podcast for example it's a good starting point like it needs to get on the agenda there's so much that needs to get on the agenda um, and until it does you're not going to see much change you know there's there's a lot of um, gaps in knowledge there's a lot of research that still needs to be done but there's also a lot of information out there coping skills strategies that are useful but I can't even tell you how many students I've seen or parents of students where they felt like their kids went to a school where teachers weren't picking up on things I'm not I'm not trying to blame teachers no, I think no, it's no, about training and education but there's so much stuff that they just didn't know and so they couldn't help. Mm. And that kid then went through school constantly being bullied, punished, feeling different, um, feeling like an underachiever, failing, feeling like a failure. Because you look after students, don't you? You, yeah. you? you look after university students. You mm -hmm. must see a lot of people come through who, who maybe have been misdiagnosed, not diagnosed or just that have really not been supported in the right way. Yeah, of course. And, and they may have suspicions, them themselves, just noticing little different things throughout life that they feel, mm, you know what, like others have also highlighted this to me. I should probably talk to someone about it. But like you say, without going private, the waiting lists for assessments yeah. can be Yes. Yeah, well, I, I managed to get seen within a few months, which actually there's still a waiting list even privately. But yeah, many, many years, I think I was told it would have been on the National Health Service. And yeah, it's and for me, it was already a big enough barrier going to get checked out because I've been probably suspecting it for over a decade, but not doing it for many of the stigmas and things. And it was really, as I say, Todd Lattie's episode that, that pushed me over to go and to go and do it. So I'd be interested to ask you, you know, from your expertise, like what... What could like what are some of the basic things that if you're a parent listening now or you're a young person or an adult that has suspicions or an ADHD or maybe you've got diagnosed, what are some of the things you can do, particularly in education setting and things that can be helpful to overcome that? Because I think that's where one of the biggest barriers comes when you go to school. That's one of the big frontiers, isn't it? Of like, oh gosh, I'm you know that's where your differences can be really highlighted. Yeah, I know it probably sounds obvious, but talking and being unafraid of talking about everything, being completely transparent as a parent, what you've seen, what you've witnessed, what you're dealing with at home, um, teachers, what's going on in the classroom, but also encouraging the youngsters to be able to open up and talk. You know, none of us are mind readers. We can't yeah, predict true. what you're going through. We're not psychic. So unless you feel brave enough to actually talk about your experience so that people can help and pass on informative info, um, coping strategies, everyone's in the dark. Yeah, because I feel like um, at school, I think one of, the, one of the difficult things, I guess, and I, people might say, okay, we'll get them talking, but if you don't know what you're talking about, what's the child gonna say? So is it, is it, is it the child talking or is it getting the teachers to be able to recognize? Because I think often the person that's labeled ADHD, it is that bounce around the room child that's behaving badly. So what about the kids that aren't, that maybe just aren't quite, they're just, something's not quite right, it's just mm -hmm. not quite working. You know, how do we pick up on those better? And then, yeah, like, you know, if I went back, if you had me and I went back to school now, and that's 10 year old Alex, how could I, how could, I, how could teachers support me to, and parents support me to have a better experience at school? Because we want kids to go through school and enjoy it mm. on the whole. You know, there's good days and bad days and kids, oh gosh, hate school today, fine. But you want the child to be generally happy at school, right? Yeah, yeah. I think also noticing these mini red flags. For you, you weren't like a giant walking red flag. There were these Thanks. little. <laughs> they, Glad they you were, said that. There were these little things that you noticed, and I think it's difficult for people. Like we're not pointing fingers. You know, you can blame certain things on puberty. Oh, that child's just hormonal. Um, it could be. Oh well, you know, we we know that that child has a difficult time at home. That probably explains the behaviour or their emotional outbursts. But is it? Like rather than just, you know, trying to find perhaps the, the first solution that comes to mind or the answer, exploring it a little bit more, spending time with the children. And there's a lot of resources online now that you can, um, and I think uh, child psychologists use them a lot, to really get kids in tune with, you know, 
what what are you feeling right now what what is your emotion do you know that mood emotion and feeling is exactly the same thing because a lot of people use these terms and they think that they're different and i've met a lot of people that often get thinking their thoughts and a mood or emotion confused so i'll say to a child um so what are you feeling right now and they'll respond I feel like I'm just a bad child and my parents hate me. That, that's a thought, that's not a yeah, feeling, but they get confused and that's the stuff and the basics, the foundational bits and pieces that they should be educated on really early because then they're using the right terminology to express and highlight and you know, draw attention to what needs attention. Well, I, I think you'd be very kind because actually I suspect a lot of adults do the same mistake, don't they? they how many do. adults do you speak to and go, how do you feel? Oh, well, I think I'm really bad at this. And you're like, well, no. So unless, and I think that's why it's important to go back to the childhood stage, because that's the opportunity you have to teach uh, emotional um, literacy and allow people to kind of grow and develop with that kind of toolkit and know how to explain. Because I think, you know, again, so much of when a child doesn't feel happy at school, for whatever reason, whether we're talking about ADHD or anything else, often it's expressed through behaviour. Yeah. Bad behaviour or whatever, what we label as bad behaviour. Because children, they're not taught how to express it, that's how they will default to, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can actually go in before that and be able to say, do you know what, I just don't feel I can concentrate here or this is not working for me or I'm struggling with this, yeah. then you can explore it. Exactly. And I guess that's the important thing. People go, all oh, right, we're talking, talking, talking. But if you don't have awareness, without awareness, mm. and I'm talking about awareness of a problem, you can't find a solution. Yeah. And I don't think, for me, the big issue was, it was never, no one seemed to be ever be aware that there was a problem. Mm -hmm. Not saying I was a problem, but that there was a problem in the way this was working. Yeah. I had to basically conform or kind of conform to get through. Yeah. And interestingly, if you look at my time through a very traditional academic learning process at A-level to a very kind of modern way of learning at university, where it was very much self-directed, I thrived in that. So when I was allowed to do my own thing and I learned in 20 minute chunks, I walked around the room, paused and started lectures when I felt like I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I went outside for a run and came back and I did things how I wanted to. All of a sudden, I did excel at university, you know, and I think if we can apply some of this, and it wasn't rocket science, I think that's the point, it wasn't rocket science what you want to change here, it's, when I look back, for me, it was, it was actually just allow me to have a bit more control of the learning and go, you know, this isn't really working. Because I think what it was, if you didn't conform to that way of learning, you were naughty. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like an option, okay, this kid isn't learning this way, when you think of something else, it's like, they're not, they're not, they're naughty, they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully now, people are learning to know better it's not just one rule, it's not just one way, it's not that structured. There is a spectrum and you can move along it. It doesn't just have to be yes, no, black, white. There's that whole gray area in between. And so yeah, there, there has to be change. I think actually you're in a great position, you know, doing what you do with various, you know, support networks and networks in general to um, start some change. Yeah, and I think uh, I'd love to, I'd love to, I need to think about it a bit more, but I'd love to look at changing the word ADHD, because actually even the psychiatrist who spoke to me, who's an expert in uh, neurodevelopment, said that they don't like the name, mm. they don't like the word, they don't like the use, the use of that word and how it makes people feel. So yeah. if there's experts and I'm like, hang on, I, I suddenly feel stigmatised even by association with that word, then surely then there's something needs to be done. Mm. Um, and, and just going back to just the kids and, you know, uh, certain behaviors and how it makes them feel and, and sort of the lack of understanding. You think about frustration and anger as well, which plays out a lot. But being at that age and even the parents being older, without the mental health, psychology background and terminology and information that's out there, they would not know that, yeah, my child is displaying you know, anger management issues or highly irritable or frustrated. There's actually another layer to that. So you peel back the onion and underneath that, it's actually got not a lot to do with being frustrated or angry. And it's got to do with low mood. It's got to do with anxiety, mostly anxiety, to be honest, and anxiety about a lot of things, recognizing that they're different, being frustrated that, you know, they can't quite get from A to B like others that easily being misunderstood, being punished for something that they honestly thought they'd done correctly. 
there is so much to consider and look at. It's, it's inter- I love that analogy, the peeling back the onion and kind of we, we see the outside and think we know it all and why it's someone's being a certain way. You start layering back and even not just other people's view, but your own view of yourself changes as you peel back those layers. But it goes that, to that point. Like I, that's what I initially felt. I was like, I don't feel, I think the first thought came to mind, I don't feel disordered. I, and I don't think it sounds like patronizing and the psychiatrist certainly wasn't being patronizing she was saying like if you as a superpower and that's more how I feel but I certainly didn't feel that way at school or growing up or even up to the last few years the happiest I've been is when I've been able to live the way I want to live and I'm lucky enough now obviously you know I do as you say I work too much and you remind me of that quite a lot Mm. but I'm able to live my life very much in the way that I want to you know I've structured you know I've always had this percent I get up in the morning I want to walk so I go and I do my stomp you know, I get outside, burn energy doing that, and I focus on stuff. I do phone calls, I walk around. There was no way people would be like, what are you doing? I was walking around an office doing phone calls, like mm-hmm. go outside. A lot of the time we call it walk and talk as a team. So I'm like, we're going to have a meeting. Let's not sit here, let's go and walk. So there's so much of that stuff that makes so much sense uh, to me now. Yeah. Um, but it still feels weird. It's still a weird thing. I guess it makes more sense. Like dyslexia is often quite associated with it. Um, ticks and things. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the science behind it. And I think sometimes um, ADHD is misinterpreted as a mental health issue. Yes, we know there are mental health issues that can be associated, but it is not fundamentally a mental health issue. It's a neurological one. Yeah. It's about the brain and brain mm-hmm. chemistry and things. That right? Like what, what's function. your brain function? So. For people listening, what, what happens, you know, broadly in a basic sense, let's not delve, I'll soon run out of knowledge if we start delving into neuroscience too much, so let's exactly. go to basic level, what, what's the underlying stuff? So ADHD is not a mental health issue, it's, it's neurological, and there'll be some areas of your brain, prefrontal cortex, where there's a lot of activity, other areas there's not so much. So yeah, it's, it's really just having awareness of that and, and also recognizing medications such as Ritalin, which helps regulate that for an individual. Basically, different parts of the brain are overactors versus others that may be less active relatively, and it's that. Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting, I guess, is that people get confused. Well, hang on, you've got a kid that's people again. A lot of it's stigma. Oh, they're hyperactive. Why are you giving them Ritalin as a stimulant? But it's that balancing of the brain, isn't it? And that's the same reason that caffeine can help because it just seems to. It definitely does for me. It helps level a bit and although I had no idea why I was drinking so much caffeine <laughs> before that mm. just to say I don't have too many cups I usually have about I used to be a lot worse actually when I was younger I used to have like eight or nine cups a day now mm. I have like three maybe four certainly after the first couple and especially especially in the afternoon I just have decaf now because yeah. I worry about sleeping but it is helpful to understand and especially in the morning I find is when I'm at my most energetic obviously I've slept so I've woken up with so much energy yeah probably makes sense why I drink more in the morning as well I'm trying to level myself and then kind of get but on with the day. that self-awareness is fantastic and I suppose you don't want your listeners to be worried about you know oh my chocolate intake is a problem therefore um, but you know it's an indicator <laughs> yeah. it's an indicator yeah yeah for sure I, I think it's peace and, I, and I, I think it's important for us to say that um, you know I, I, I now am able to kind of look back and piece together certain things I don't want people to listen and go oh, I drink a lot of caffeine, therefore I must have ADHD. But I do think if you are sitting there and you're thinking, do you know what, we're stomping and thinking, wow, there is a few things here that maybe haven't made sense or, or whatever, then it's worth, it's worth getting checked out, isn't yeah. it? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. Um, you know, would I change who I am or not have it or whatever? No, I wouldn't, because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be me. And I think I'm happy with who I am. Do I think that I wish that things could have been different at school? Definitely. I think, um, I think having people around me that, that understood why I am who I am would have really helped. I think in relationships and friendships it definitely would help. Mm. So there are bits I definitely change. But fundamentally and respectfully, it would be things that change about the way I was treated rather than me myself. Of course. So I hope other people listening, if you've been diagnosed with it or you're thinking you have it, then don't think that you've got a disorder. So it's been a bit of a different therapy session because we kind of, you know, we've talked a lot about my own reaction to things and I know we're going to go into that a lot more 
in other episodes and kind of we've come out it's interesting because when we ha when we do therapy sessions that's what often what happens i find is that because i feel like i have some insight i often zoom out and then zoom back in mm -hmm. isn't it so you kind of step out and i start talking about the political landscape and what i want to change you're like alex let's go back into you exactly there's, but this is interesting because there's so much reeling you back sometimes and initially when i first met you i wondered is he being avoidant because a huge thing in therapy Holy is to avoid the avoidance but now, knowing the diagnosis, that's part of what True. You Jumping do. from idea to idea. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it all makes sense. I, I'm, making, I'm making more sense to myself and others. I think that's a, that's yeah, a good so thing. Yeah, so it's not that you're being avoided at all. You're like, you're wrapping that up. You're putting it in a box. We're done. Now we're on to this. <laughs> onto the different <laughs> idea. We talk about a lot in our therapy sessions. I think people mm. should join us for, for more of them, I reckon. Yeah. So, so for anyone listening who, I don't know, this might have brought things up either about themselves or they're thinking, maybe I know someone that has it. What, what can you do if you think I might have ADHD? I would say initially, educate yourself. So try and research and read up on as much as you can, because that's always going to help. You can speak to your GP. I think for parents, if you're concerned about your children or you're worried about yourself and you're in no immediate rush, just get yourself on the waiting list uh, for an assessment. It doesn't matter how long it takes, you'll get there. You see if you can afford to go private, do that. But yeah, I think having having the knowledge of what it is and what you can do because there's a lot of information out there there's a lot of helpful stuff coping strategies it's it's all really useful and then of course you know like we mentioned teachers and within school and the other students that aren't aware having that awareness having that knowledge so you can behave differently in environments versus treating someone different so that they grow up thinking that there could be something well, expecting someone them. to conform to how you believe things should be yeah and then thinking of them negatively if they don't so i think the education point is important that's why i keep banging on about it i think you've got to teach about you know all these things as people grow up and 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 just to remind people around five percent of the population i believe to have adhd so we're not talking about a tiny percentage here that's a significant number of people you're going to meet are probably going to have it so if you can just understand a little bit about what it is and why they might behave differently then i think it will really help and i think you know i'd say to people the first place i've gone to to find information is the adhd foundation mm -hmm. um they're one of the biggest charities for it for support the nhs has information on their website just be careful not to and as always i remind people don't go and find information from some random dark parts of the web because usually it's nonsense check that you're actually you're actually finding information from the right places and also just remember you know if you do have it think of it as that superpower and utilize your strengths recognize some of the things that can be weaknesses or perceived as weaknesses and adapt for them yeah. don't lose sight of the fact that for you it can be that superpower i mean toddler t reminded me of that and said you know i i've got adhd in it and i am where i am i've done all these things in music i've produced some of the biggest artists in the world so do you know what why would i change it i think that's an important thing to say it's also acknowledging that most things in life are on a scale or a spectrum mm. of some sort so it's not okay it's this polar opposite versus this polar opposite you have black and you have white and you have 50 shades of gray in the middle that's a book that is a book and <laughs> you um, read it though have you that is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> there are variants of shades of grey that someone will fall into and it's not helpful to put anyone into a specific box or into that specific box or give them these particular labels when the experience for everyone is going to be so different. For sure, for sure. And how you manage and navigate that in your life. So it's, it's World Mental Health Day, that's why we've done this session. And actually, I, I don't think there's many occasions that people have actually genuinely done a therapy session um, recording this way. So thank you for, for doing it. It's something you didn't have to do, that's for sure. What, is, what does World Mental Health Day mean to you? I'm just glad mental health is getting attention. It's raising awareness. Um, this feeds into everyone's self-love and self-care. We are given 24 hours a day, and what do you do with that? you're sleeping for eight hours you're left with 16 to do everything else and at some point mental health needs to be a point of focus in your day so whatever you do you know paying attention to you your needs and looking after you the only one on this planet that is genuinely going to have your own back all of the time so pay attention and look after yourself and talk and reach out it's not a weakness like i said before no one is psychic so if you don't let anyone know what you're going through we're all just in the dark and it's it's not a weakness if i 
was going to my GP because I needed antibiotics, there is no stigma around that. No. And, and that's what we need to focus on with mental health. It's, it's necessary. So for people, maybe at, at the moment, who are just thinking, actually, do you know what? I've listened to this therapy session. Maybe I need therapy, maybe I want therapy. I hear a lot of people saying, how unwell do you have to be for therapy? How sick, am I sick enough for therapy? Mm. What would you say to them if they're having those thoughts and where do they actually go and get a therapist? How do you know, is, how do you get a therapist really? I get asked this a lot by clients and I always say to them, don't worry about anyone else. If there is something within you that you feel is a concern that you want to reach out to someone, that's the red flag in itself yeah. that needs the attention paid to it. A lot of people worry about taking somebody else's hour and space and they'll come to me and they say, I wonder if my issues that significant because maybe there's someone worse than me mm. and you're spending an hour with me and you could be spending it with them. That is irrelevant. Everyone is going through stuff and if you want to discuss that and explore it further, and, and raise that self-awareness and get to know yourself better and what's going on and, and how you've been shaped the way you are, why you think the way you do, why you behave the way you do, why you feel the way you do, then reach out. Now, there's obviously various approaches to therapy. So someone that is looking into it might want to, again, do a little bit of research to think about what approach to therapy. Do they want cognitive behavioral therapy, which is CBT, as we mentioned earlier? psychodynamic, systemic, um, psychoanalytic, there's various approaches. So you might be well read and know what you want, but other people will experiment. They will visit a therapist that they found online, it'll work, it might not work. Some relationships don't work, some work fantastically. But look online, if you are covered by a health insurer, I get many referrals mm. from AXA, Vitality, your GP can refer you on. If it's not to the NHS, mm. they will know, private mm. therapists. But there's lots of psychology and therapist directories online where you are able to find someone who you think is going to fit you and your needs based on their area of work, location, fee, how they work. There's a lot to consider. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked when I, I found you, I wanted someone that had experience in grief, that I felt I was very well rounded in their experience and 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 I kind of when I've met you it worked and and I would say to people like if you meet a therapist go I oh, don't get on with them there's no awkwardness about it just try another you're not people are people you can't expect everyone to work together like I'm sure there are people even though you're fantastic that maybe don't relate to you in the same way that they need and they might have to go and see someone else and like that's okay, that's normal. It's kind of similar with a GP. Like, not every GP is going to get on with every patient. Not every patient is going to get on with a GP. Or... It's not even about getting on. It's like, mm. if it, you're going to see them for therapy, you're not there for a friend. So if it's not helping you in your therapy, exactly. try someone else. Yeah. I... Gender, age, there's a whole lot of different aspects someone will be looking for. And yes, you know, sometimes you're in the therapy room and there will be a therapeutic rupture because you have highlighted something or you've discovered something together where the client can really get angry and upset with me that there is a rupture. And sometimes that can be the end of things. And sometimes you, you know, most of the time the client really learns from it because it's so insightful. But if you don't bring these things up, you're colluding in a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to say to anyone listening, I hope this has been helpful. If, if you don't mind me saying so myself, it, it takes a little bit of, uh, I don't know what the word is, I'm say courage is not the right thing, but it's a bit scary, I should say, to do therapy for people to listen in. And obviously I'm still very raw after um, this diagnosis. Probably triggered more things in me than I think I realized, and we'll definitely be going into that more in other sessions. Um, but a huge thanks to all of you listening. Uh, World Mental Health Day is an opportunity to celebrate mental health, to recognize the amazing benefits of actually looking after yourself, and also recognize that, you know, we all go through tough times, you know, the storms don't last forever. Uh, just recognize when the storms are overhead and get help, get yeah. support. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed. You're not too sick uh, or not sick enough to get any kind of help. Okay. If you just feel like you need help, go get it. Um, talk to people, share, you know, especially men out there. You guys are rubbish at talking about mental health sometimes. So get out there and ask for help if you, if you need it. A huge thanks again to our sponsor this week, Fitflop. They're lightweight shoes that are engineered with our bodies and mind are sure to keep you stomping in comfort for longer. Head over to fitflop.com to choose the perfect pair for you.
thanks to you so much, uh, Dr. Quirk, I'll leave with that one. Thank you so much. You're thank amazing. You. Um, and thank you so much to everyone listening. Thank you to our sponsors now, um, FitFlop. I'm wearing my wonderful FitFlops at the moment. They're sponsoring uh, the podcast. You basically allow us to not only walk in comfort, be able to actually carry on and do this podcast because it can be rather expensive as a hobby, but I love it. I'm hugely grateful to Charlie for making this episode work as well. And I just finish off actually with you, Charlie. We really will wrap now, I promise people. When I told you this morning that I had ADHD, what was your reaction? I'm passing the mic over. I'm literally dropping the mic here. Uh, well, my initial reaction was that I was like, and I don't know whether you appreciate it or not, but I was like, oh my God, great. <laughs> because I thought in your, I think it's better to have the clarity of how your mind works and to not have it at all, even if you might be shocked by it or feel like it's a lot for you to take on. I think in the long run, it's a really good thing that you've got it. So I, my reaction was probably not the same as everybody else's reaction, but I think it was good. Well, I think my reaction to your reaction was more that I was just surprised because I didn't expect you to say that. I mean, you expect someone to be like, oh God, not that I want, I don't feel it that way, but I was expecting you to have a stigma, but you didn't. So that's why I was shocked. <laughs> so um, there we go. I mean, people are learning, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there. Lots of love, everyone. Happy stomping. The normal Stompcast will re- return next week and we will continue with another fantastic guest. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.